Good morning again. You're very welcome. You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians, real quick, Philippians chapter 1. But then we're going to go there toward the last chapter because we're finishing this series this morning. Andrew and I have been preaching, as you know, through this for months now. <laughs> it's, it's been good. Um, and there's so much more you could say about a book of God's Word. Um, I mean, you, you could spend your whole life probably in Philippians and still not really grasp the depth uh, of what God has for us there. It is the living Word of God. I'm going to read Actually, go to Philippians 4. Turn the page there. I'm going to read our passage. But we'll pop back to Philippians 1 in a second. Philippians 4. We're looking at verse 10 to the end of the chapter. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we do thank you for <clears throat> beautiful letters like Philippians. Things that you have preserved through the ages because it is your word and it will never pass away. And so, Father, as we just look at it for a brief moment this Lord's Day, would you use it to show us more of you? Transform our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you good at keeping secrets? Maybe some of you are good at telling secrets. <laughs> um, sometimes we think secrets are only bad things, right? We, we, we kind of encourage our children, don't, don't tell secrets, don't keep secrets. That's not nice. Um, we may be wary of secrets because, you know, often it might be about someone else, information that we have, that we want to tell, but we don't want that other person to know we know. That's called gossip, usually, when we end up <laughs> telling those things. Um, or sometimes someone's hiding something that, that's, that's very serious. It could be something wrong or illegal. 
or abusive even. And so there's, there's secrets like that. But secrets can be good as well. There are good secrets. Um, so when Valerie and I got married, I kept our honeymoon location a secret. I don't know if she fully appreciated that because she likes to plan. But I kept it a secret because I wanted to surprise her. Uh, when I turned 30, she organized this massive surprise party that she kept a secret because she wanted to surprise me. Uh, these are good secrets because they're meant for the person's joy and excitement and, and well-being. They're just good, fun secrets. Um, good secrets are those that eventually, they're eventually found out by everybody. You want them to know. I wanted her to know where we're going on our honeymoon. She wanted me to know that she's throwing her a surprise party. And there were lots of people that knew all about, about all that. And they were fun, good secrets. Or, or even, they're just really, it really might be really good news. A, a secret could be really good news that everyone really needs to know, but people don't know it. They just don't know it. This is the kind of secret here that Paul is revealing to us in Philippians chapter 4. It's a really good secret that everybody needs to know. And so he's finishing up this letter that he's written to the Philippians. He loves this church. Uh, he, he saw this church birthed. Uh, the Philippians have given him both money and people. Uh, Epaphrodites is, was, a, was a huge help to Paul. Uh, and as Andrew reminded us last week, that you know you have this letter and it's just full of um, moments of just reminding us of, of how to be unified and how to have joy and, and maturity in Christ, walking worthy of the gospel. Uh, and if you flip back to, to Philippians 1, you'll, you'll see he kind of starts and ends this letter in some similar ways. Uh, so if you look at Philippians 1, verse 6, a very well-known verse, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Paul wants to see their maturity. He wants to see them grow. Uh, look down at uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He wants their love to abound. He wants them to have depth of insight. He wants them to discern what's best, pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. These are the desires that Paul expresses for the church in chapter 4 as well. Uh, but he uses, what he does in chapter 4 is he uses this, this way of giving thanks for their gift to teach them about some things. So he's thankful for a gift that they gave him. But as Paul always does, he's teaching something. He wants them to grow. He wants them to mature. He wants them to walk worthy. He wants to see that complete work that Christ is doing in them. But you see, just like the Philippians might be tempted towards thinking that physical provision brings contentment, we too can think that when our physical needs are met, that that's where true contentment lies. And just like the first century church might confuse the value of physical needs over spiritual needs, we also, if we're honest, we forget what our greatest 
needs really are. And so I want you to believe this morning that Christ is your only source of contentment and that he is also your greatest need. He's your source of contentment and he's your greatest need. And so how does Paul's note of thanks point to Christ as all-sufficient for both our contentment and our needs? Well, I want to show you two truths this morning about the Lord Jesus Christ that is really vital for our spiritual well-being and for our spiritual growth. So to live a vibrant Christian life, Jesus must be your only source of contentment. So American Thanksgiving was this last week. Uh, Often for a lot of people in the States, it's just this secular day of feasting and being together. And let me clear it up. It is not bigger than Christmas. (laughs) Lots of people think that Thanksgiving is bigger than Christmas, but it's not. Um, But it is a day to be together. And, you know, Hopefully, when Christians gather for that event, they're, they're celebrating, but they're also giving thanks because we have so much to be thankful for. Family, our homes, our jobs, often our health, not always. But are those distinctly Christian? Can, couldn't anybody be thankful for those things? Thankful for a job, thankful for family. Many people would say that they are, but Christians have greater things to be thankful for. Salvation in Christ, community through God's people, uh, joy and eternal life in Christ. And so if you look at verse 10 here, Paul is giving thanks. Look at verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He sees that they are so concerned for him. And so it's good to give thanks. It is good to receive gifts also with thanks. But the question you have to ask yourself in this is what if Paul's needs weren't met? What if he didn't have work? What if he didn't have money or a home or a family or health? Uh, It's easy for us to be thankful when we have a lot, isn't it? It's easy to be thankful when we're living in abundance. We are one of the richest countries in the world. Um, each of you are actually one of the re- richest people in the world. And as my children might say, excuse me, <laughs> um, am I really that rich? And that's actually true. So the median, the very middle income of the world is about 8,600 euro a year. That's the median. So that means that half of the people, about 4 billion people on this planet, live on less than 8,600 euro a year. That's about 700 euro a month. We spend more on that for food every month. I mean, we're a family of six. And let them, I mean, we've got rent, you've got petrol, you've got insurance, you've got, you know, you've got all that. And yet most of the people, in, uh, half the people in the world, are living on less than 700 euro a month. And many are living on far less. And so, yes, we are one of the richest countries in the world. And if you look at like a chart, you'll see we're actually like top 25. Ireland is. That's not to make you feel guilty. (laughs) Having money is not wrong. If I need something, I can go buy it. That's a wonderful thing. 
It is a wonderful thing and I don't need to feel guilty. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what if I can't go buy something that I need? What if my physical provision wanes? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my home? What if I lose my health? What do our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are very poor, what are they giving thanks for? We'll look at verse 11, the first part of it. It's fascinating here because Paul is very clear that he doesn't really need their gift. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. <laughs> He's like, thanks, <laughs> I don't really need this. It's not often we say that when we receive a gift, is it? Thanks, but I don't really need it. Now, he's not being ungrateful. And you see that because you see multiple times where he is expressing gratitude. He's not being unthankful. But like I said before, Paul is always teaching something. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That his calling on his life is to teach the church. And so he's always teaching something. And he's learned something. And look at the second part of verse 11. For I have learned... In whatever situation I am to be content. Excuse me? In every single situation I can be content? So this month our boiler wasn't working for three weeks. We called the, the rental people, you know, and they send, you know, and you just go back and forth. They're like, three weeks. Now most of that time was pretty mild, the temperature. But the last few days were pretty cold. <laughs> And we don't have a fireplace. <laughs> so can, can I really be content with that? Like, it was kind of hard sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it's just my heat in my home. You know, just for three weeks. Can I be content if my time is consumed by somebody else? Do you ever have those people in your life that consume your time? Most parents do. <laughs> they have little people that consume their time. Can I be content with that, with someone taking my time? Can I be content when I'm deprived of my comfort or my security? Can I be content when I have to wear masks <laughs> to worship the Lord when I'm singing? Can I be content if we go back into lockdown? I mean, most of us are like, please, no. But what if that happens? Can we be content? Well, look at verse 12. Paul says he's learned this. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in plenty, in hunger, in abundance, in need. He's learned a secret, and it's a really good one. And he wants us all to know it. He's not, it's not one of those secrets that's supposed to be kept from everybody. He's learned the secret of contentment. And it's verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me and that Him is the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things. Now this verse is often very misapplied. Uh, this verse is not telling you that Jesus is going to give you strength to achieve and to win and to prosper and to get that promotion and to get healthy and to get you know in shape. That's not what that verse is saying to you. Sometimes you'll see that on a t-shirt in the States. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do it all. I got it. This is... No. Paul's in prison <laughs> when he's writing this. He's in a desperate place. This verse is for the weak. 
and for the broken who realize that Jesus is where contentment lies. So when all is lost, church, when all is lost and everything fails you and when hardship seems like it's never going to end and when your relationships falter and when death is knocking at your door and when everything is gone, even life itself, you can be content in Jesus. Because He is still there when everything else is gone. He will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus will bring you through whatever Jesus brings your way. He will bring you through whatever He brings your way way because he is the sovereign god and he is the only source of contentment brother and sister more money will not bring you contentment a better job will not bring you contentment a bigger house will not bring you contentment more friends will not bring you contentment and a luxurious holiday will not bring you contentment to live a vibrant christian life jesus must be our only source of contentment but jesus isn't just our source of contentment to live a vibrant christian life jesus must be your greatest need if verses 10 to 13 are basically paul saying thank you but i don't need your gift then verses 14 to 20 is paul saying thank you but i didn't ask for your gift paul's got a funny way of saying thanks doesn't he (laughs) thanks i don't need it thanks i didn't ask for it Look at verses 14 to 20. He goes back to thankfulness. He, he tells them the secret, the secret of being contentment, of contentment, of knowing that Jesus is the source of it. And yet he goes back to 14. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. He goes back to being, it's, it's so kind of you. That, that share is fellowship. He's like, I'm fellowshipping with you. You're fellowshipping with me in this. You're sacrificing in my trouble. You're sacrificing in, 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 in your, and you're connecting with my trouble in it. It was kind of you to share there. Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, he even says. I am well supplied. And then that their gifts were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You can see, like I said, he's truly thankful. He's not ungrateful for this, these, this, this monetary gift. He's just not. They shared in his trouble. Even in verse 15, they're the only church that partnered with him for a season. In verse 16, even at other times than this, they partnered with him. And then he's, he's just so well supplied. Just an aside here, church, like we want to be a church like that, like the Philippian church. We want to be a church that's sacrificial in our giving, that's consistent in our giving, that's generous in our giving, and that just doesn't happen, like magically. We must be intentional as we respond to needs and we respond to the Lord's call on us to give sacrificially. But just like above, in verses 10 to 13, even though Paul is thankful, he wants to teach them something. He's thankful, but look at verse 17. 
<clears throat> says, not that I seek the gift. I don't think he's saying here that it's wrong to make needs known. That's not what Paul's saying, because you see that other places in the scripture where, where needs are made known. So it's not wrong for someone to say, like, here's a need that needs to be filled. Um, that's, that's not wrong. What he wants the Philippians to guard against, though, is the idea that what people need is to have their physical needs met. Or he wants them to guard against also that, that somehow we need our physical needs met. So what he didn't want them to think that the best thing that the Philippians could do for him is to give him something. Because that's not his greatest need. So he doesn't want them to think that. Look at the second half of 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He wants profit added to their account. He wants the increase in the bank balance of their maturity, is what he's basically saying. He wants them to know Jesus more, because that's what maturity is as a Christian. It's knowing Jesus more. We saw already in chapter 1 that Jesus is going to complete a work, verse 6. Uh, we saw that he wants them in, to walk in a life worthy of the gospel. He wants them to stand firm in their faith. For Paul, that's what this gift is showing him. The gift is showing Paul that the Spirit is actually doing these things in the life of the Philippians. That's what that gift is showing Paul. And that's what he's more excited about. He's not excited to receive the money. He didn't even ask for it. He's excited that, oh, you are growing because you're giving sacrificially and that is supernatural and not normal. It's not normal. It's supernatural. So the value of the gift is not that it fills Paul's needs but it shows how God is providing for the Philippians' greatest need. The Philippians' greatest need is a transformed heart that only Jesus can transform because their greatest need is Jesus. That's the value of that gift to Paul is that Jesus is at work in your life. Look at verse 19. He gives thanks again. We saw in verse 18. He's received full payment. It's an offering, a sacrifice, acceptable to God. And then verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So how? How is God going to provide for the Philippians' needs and Paul's needs? It's the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I love the intimacy of this verse. Did you catch the intimacy of the verse? And my God will supply all of your needs. How does Paul know that? He knows that God can provide their greatest need. Their greatest need is rescue, salvation, union with Christ. That's their greatest need. How does Paul know that his God can do that? Because he did it for him. When Paul was in a desperate place, of thinking he was serving God and he was far from God. And Jesus comes and rescues him. My God, he says, will provide your needs. 
his greatest need, their greatest need, your greatest need this morning is Jesus. Now, the prosperity gospel, that gospel that's a false gospel, that's a false good news, will take this verse and tell you that God will give you a luxurious life. He's going to provide all your needs according to the riches that we have in Christ. That is not what this provision is. But the life of Paul really throws that argument on its head. Because once again, Paul's in prison here. He doesn't even have his freedom, uh, let alone luxury in that. There's no prosperity gospel here. If we are traveling in the North Atlantic during winter, um, which I don't know why anyone wanted to do that, but if you were, and you fall from the ship into open water, I will do my very best to throw you a life ring. I will do my very best to throw you a life ring. And you will do your very best to catch that life ring, I'm guessing. Uh, and you will feel so elated and thankful when you catch that life ring. And I will feel so wonderful to have been able to give that life ring to you. But you getting the life ring is not your greatest need. Because you're still going to die in that water. It's winter. And that water's nearly freezing. And you will die of hyperthermia. In salt water that's zero degrees, you will die in about 15 minutes. So just getting the life ring seems nice. But it is not enough. What you need in that situation is a change of location. You need to get out of the water or you're going to die. You need to be rescued. You need to be transformed from the cold drowning like a rat in water to be the safe, warm lion on standing on solid ground. You need, you need to be transformed. Do you know what the prosperity gospel does in this situation? It promises you that you're going to get a hundred life rings. Except that's not really good news, is it? Because you need to be transformed. You need to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Believer, your greatest need this morning and will always be Jesus. It's not just at the beginning of your Christian life. It's not just in the middle of it. And it's not just at the end of it. It's the entire way through. Your greatest need is going to be Jesus. And when your life falls apart, and I guarantee that it will fall apart, do you know why? Because life is short and death is inevitable. So everyone in this room's life will literally fall apart at some point. When your life falls apart, money is not what you need. Luxury is not what you need. You need the riches of Christ. And this is what Paul is teaching us this morning. Eliana read so well from Philippians 3. I want to know Him, is what Paul says. Everything else was rubbish. That I may know Him. That I may know Him. Paul didn't need their gift. He needs Christ. Do we believe that? We are so accustomed to achieving a life of comfort in this world, aren't we? I know I am. This was super challenging 
preparing this sermon this week. I love my comfort. I do. And I am glad to be in one of the richest countries in the world. But that's scary if I find contentment in that. We can be so desperately discontent because we forget that we already have all we need in Christ. You know what's interesting? Paul was martyred about five years after he writes this. It kind of puts that monetary gift of the Philippians in perspective. He didn't really need the money because he's dead in five years. He needs Jesus because Jesus will last him forever. He can't take the money with him. Maybe you're here and you're still floating in the cold sea. You haven't trusted Christ and you've tried one life ring after another. And you think they're going to keep you afloat. But the problem is even if they keep you afloat in this life, you still need to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That, my friend, is only done by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only means of rescue that we have. So please stop striving to stay above the cold water because you can't, and one day it will take you down. And that 15 minutes that you would have if you were in the North Atlantic is going to be your life. It's just like that. Trust in the saving grace of Jesus this morning. Paul ends this letter in a similar fashion that he begins it. It's the grace of Jesus. Look back at chapter 1, verse 2. It says, he says in, in his, his greetings, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you. Look at chapter 4, the last verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We have seen some amazing truths in this book. Again, joy, unity, maturity, now contentment, what our needs are. The only way, church, that we will have a vibrant Christian life, both as a church and as individuals, is to believe that Jesus is our only source of contentment and that he's our only and greatest need. It's so hard to believe that. And yet, when we come to our deathbed, it's all, it's all we got. It's all we have. He's your greatest need this morning. Maybe as a church, rest in that and encourage each other in that. Because we're all going to be tempted one way or the other to find our contentment in something else. Family, friends, work, money, you won't find it there. It's not possible. Jesus is our only source because he's our greatest need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the rich truths of Philippians. We thank you that we have a Savior who loved us enough to die for us. What else would we need? God, forgive me when I think that I need other things. Because that is just a pattern of my life. I feel like I need other things. And I'm sure I'm not alone in here, Father. And so help us to see Jesus as our greatest need. And he's our greatest need, but that need has been supplied. 
and we can appropriate it by faith. Increase our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.